0: All right. Hey, everybody. I am still, my, my body is standing. My head and heart are still on this carpet. So kind of just want to stay there, honestly. You guys ever, I don't, I don't know if you ventured there with me today, but I literally am like heart of worship. I'm, I'm there. I'm like, did we just enter into a prayer room? I think we did. Let's keep going a few more hours. I felt like we were just getting revved up doing some deep work. Um, Thank you guys for, like, being a church that at least attempts to go with us sometimes. I felt like today was one of those days where we're like, we're going somewhere and we're like doing something, you know? You can feel it in the ground, and I know that probably not everyone's, he's like, what are this guy talking about up here? But it's okay. I'm I'm comfortable with that. But... um, at least from my perspective, I felt like we were just both as we worship and are like honoring the Lord, we're also like, we got our hands in the dirt. You know what I mean? Let's rub these seeds into the soil. You know, what is God wanting to do? And um, it's such a, an honor to be able to not only worship, but to see change and transformation happen within us and around us as we worship as well. So I love that that's a house. This is a house where we can do that. So, hallelujah. Here we are. I'm a little undone. This is good, right? Maybe we should just, maybe I should just crouch down here. (laughs) Oh, my gosh.
1: Sing His words, he already...
0: And we pause in your presence, God. Your presence is everything to us. Let us never just rush on with our lives and forget what's most important. We honor your presence, God. We honor you, Jesus, living King, here with us. I pray, God, that as we open your word, let, let me, let us, as we explore this, uh, let it Let us do it justly in the the weak attempt that we bring to open up the word and try to give a language for who you are and what you're doing in our lives, God. Leap off the page today, God. Holy Spirit, leap off the page and straight into our being. Leap off the page and straight into our being. God, I'm asking, come with power, Come with faith. Stir up faith in your kids this morning. Where we need it, stir up faith within our hearts, God. Stir up faith within our hearts, God. Holy Spirit, we're just open. Our our lives are like a funnel. Bring it in, God. Bring it in, pour out your new wine, pour out your love, your intoxicating love, God. Fill our lives. We need you, God. We need the oil of your spirit. We need the power of your blood operating. And so we, we give, we open up our mouths, our two lips. We open up and just say, yes, have your way in our lives. Yes, with the small amount of faith and belief that we have, multiply it, God. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 All right.
1: Sure.
0: If you're new around here, we're just, we're just flowing with God as best as we can. You know, we're, we're not up here trying to create a good spick and span performance for everyone. And we're radically in love with Jesus. So in the, God has absolutely wrecked my life in the best way possible. I don't know what you've been told or what your experience has been kind of fractured family you've been in, but God is so good. Can I speak that into your spirit? He is so good. He loves you so much. All these little tears that I'm shedding right now, he puts in a little bottle, he says. All your tears he puts in a bottle. He knows the number of hairs on your head. He knows you through and through. This is the God that we lay our lives before on the altar. And in his his kindness, he looks at your life, the one that knows you way better than you know yourself. And he's, he's dreamed potential. Your life is pregnant with possibility. So any kind of hopelessness, any kind of settling, just, just as best as you know how, lay that before him. And I feel like he's going to speak to that this morning, okay? All right. Yes. I don't know how I'm going to do this. Come on, Lord. Yeah. Perfection can for sure go out the window. <laughs> uh. Open up your Bibles. (laughs) Open up your Bibles. Your iPhone Bibles. (laughs) All right, we've been hitting John 4 and 5 recently, and there's some times in my life where I love to explore different parts of Scripture, but I, I always go back to the Gospels because I get to see Jesus demonstrate and live the heart of the Father through this invisible God, making himself visible through a person who who walks throughout Israel, proclaiming the kingdom of heaven, demonstrating the heart of the Father, only doing and saying what his Father is doing, saying that you've had questions about what the Father's like, you can find it in me, in Jesus and so I, I love just returning to the stories and, and the words of Jesus and just being captivated by the love of God and the heart of the Father all over again. And so that's, that's my hope for you this morning, too, that we can be captivated. I've just had this, like, this phrase in, ringing in my ears for a few weeks of like, God, grip my heart again. Grip my heart again, God. That's like my cry every morning now. Grip my heart all over again. And we've been in this theme in John 4 and 5, and even what I preached last week, a theme about trusting God, uh, trusting Jesus to shine through, where he finds us in our shame and meets us with his loving kindness, illuminating our lives, freeing us from anything that's holding us back, meeting us in our pain, meeting us in in the mystery of our waiting. Like like the man who who was at the Pool of Bethesda for 38 years— Rid of all kinds of hope, except that little little bit of hope that maybe he can get in the stirred waters. But Jesus comes along, and meets him in a place of sovereignty and says, "You get up, get up, take up your bed, and be healed, walk." And and so we went into that story a bit, and and last week we talked about um, trusting and tension, and. And how there are parts of scripture that are so clear, the truth that sets us free, the plumb line of truth. But then there are areas of our life that are ever so gray and mysterious, and we get to hold that intention. And how just as important as it is is, to understand and get the revelation of truth, we also have to hold intention, the areas of mystery, don't we? It's just as holy to do so. And so this week, I want us to open up to John chapter 5, starting in verse 30. John 5, starting in verse 30, and we're going to wrap the chapter up. We live in a world of a lot of what's. How many of you know that we are desperately in need of discovering some why's? The why's, what's underneath the surface. And just look at some of the current events that we're facing right now. I mean, for example, some of the... the current events around the world. You can't help but think about Israel and Palestine. And the, the, we, can, we can have all sorts of what questions, but really the deeper question is why. In a relationship, you, you may want to know what you can do to improve a relationship or maybe what you can do to even get in a relationship. Some of you out there. Some of us out there. What can we do to have a, sexful, a successful dating? Thank you. Thank you. That's right. There it is. When the Lord just touches my tongue for a little comic relief. That is successful within the boundary of marriage. We're never going to recover from this, all right. <laughs> but all the questions you have, the what, what can I do? The deeper question is why. And when you know your why, you're going to be rooted in a way of looking at marriage and relationships, and that will follow suit. In your career path, you probably are more concerned about what should I be doing right now? I, I want to I wanna have a good performance. I want to I wanna do all these things so I'm successful. But really, if you haven't found your why under the surface, you're probably going to be tossed around frantically by a bunch of options and preferences until you finally find your why where you're rooted and focused in your why. And we do this in our teaching and in our theology, too. In our sermons, we love to give advice to others. In our home groups, we listen to sermons. You know what you need to do. You know what you need to do. You're having trouble trusting God. Let me tell you what to do. Well, the Bible says this is what you're supposed to do. And sometimes that's the most annoying thing that you can tell someone is this prescriptive little what you should do when really you're just supposed to give the ministry of presence and let the Holy Spirit get to the why. The deeper longing under what we do is to find out why, that's the deeper question. And in an incredible way, the last paragraph of John chapter five, Jesus himself answers out of his own mouth, answering the question why we can trust him. This is why you can trust me. And if you can trust who Jesus is, then you can be anchored in his very nature. So when the uncertainty does come, and it will come, when the questions come, and they will come, when the what's come at you, when each situation arises, you can have a confidence in trusting God wholeheartedly because you can can finally understand and own why you can trust him. So I'm calling this message, Why I Can Trust Jesus. We're going to be looking at six reasons why you can trust him out of John 5. And I'm pretty sure I don't have a lot of time, so let's zip through it. Zip through it in the best Holy Spirit-led way. Okay. <laughs> in Jesus' name. All right, let's pray again. Jesus, would you, would you move through this message? I, I don't want to give just a bunch of what's. I want to, I want to help people connect to the why why they can trust you. And Holy Spirit, we need you to guide us into the place of trust. You are the good shepherd. You lead us in so we are known and protected in Jesus' name. Okay, why can I trust Jesus? Number one, the Father sent Jesus. John 5.30, I can do nothing on my own, Jesus says. Isn't this fascinating? He is fully God, but he is drawn into an understanding of the working of the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, and says, I can do nothing on my own. He actually began talking about this in verse 19, if you jump forward or jump backwards a few verses. So let's look at those verses that he's unpacking to help us understand. So 519, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees his Father doing. And so when we jump down to verse 30, he's coming back to this argument again, driving the point home. And a little bit of context here. Let's, let's remember the context that we've been going through. Jesus had just healed the paralyzed man on the Sabbath, strategically so, and the Pharisees, who were the religious leaders of the day that were loved rules, they loved to condemn, they were looking for everything they could do to tear someone down. The, the religious leaders of the day. And... Um, they were very critical of Jesus, trying to find any fault that they could with him. And even though he, he went to a man miraculously after 38 years, and the man got up, who was paralyzed, and walked, and Jesus instructed him to take up his mat, they said, oh, don't matter about the miracle. This guy picked up his mat on the Sabbath day. You know how ridiculous is that, that they were that critical? But because Jesus healed on the Sabbath and told this man um, to get his bed, he was, in a sense, breaking their rules that they had created, and so they were leaping to condemn him. Hey, Jesus, how you're acting, what you're doing, what you're saying, you're really freaking us out. You're giving this equal-to-God kind of persona, and it's a major problem for us. So when Jesus is emphasizing the union that he has with the heart of the Father— He is demonstrating who the father is, what the father wants to do, what the father wants to say. This is majorly ruffling the pharisaical feathers. That's a mouthful. We're going to make a t-shirt with that. (laughs) Ruffle pharisaical feathers. And he's making them crazy. Verse 18. Someone like that. Okay. Um, This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Remember the book of John. He is setting out not just to give a chronological order of the events of Jesus' life. He is setting out to prove the sonship of Jesus as the Son of God and that Jesus is God. And not only that, that Jesus is the meaning of life. And so what's the fundamental problem that we are still dealing with today? Is Jesus just a good teacher? Is he just a prophet? Is he just a good example to us? Or is he the promised Messiah, part of the Trinity as the Son of God? Is Jesus God? And he says in verse 30, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. So why can I trust Jesus? Number one, the Father sent him. Here we go, number two. John the Baptist testifies to Jesus as the Messiah. Verse 31. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he borne witness to the truth. So what's going on here? Because of the authority of Jesus was being questioned in the moment by these critics, he summoned witnesses to vouch for him. He wants to keep with the Old Testament teaching about the need for multiple witnesses in the court of law. And so he says in verse 32, there is another one who testifies in my favor. He could either be referring to the Father, he could be referring to the Holy Spirit, or he could be referring to John the Baptist. And I can see in different commentaries that there is kind of a a, a mystery. Some people have preferences of who he is alluding to. He just talked about the Father, and he's about to talk about John the Baptist. So who is it that's testifying in his favor? The truth is, all of the above. Both Both of these are mentioned in the context. His main point, though no matter if you agree or disagree. His main point here is that John, John the Baptist is a credible witness to the deity of Christ. You can't consistently accept and approve John's preaching and still reject Jesus as the Messiah. little change of gears here. In 1994, I was home watching TGIF. And for some of you that don't know what that is, I'm sorry you missed out, because before there was streaming, Friday Nights was for TGIF. Thank goodness it's Friday, and we had Family Matters. Name some of your favorite shows. Full House. House. I heard another one, what did you say? Step by Step, -step Cosby Show. I don't know if Cosby Show was on TGIF. It should have been. Okay, there were some good ones. You're tracking, you're tracking. Okay, so I'm in the middle of this watching and all of a sudden the news comes on and there's this helicopter peeping down at the 405 because there's a white Bronco headed from Encino down to the west side. A little driver named O.J. Simpson is on the loose. How many of you guys remember watching that? Reveal your age. This was a big deal. I'm, I'm pretty sure all of you probably remember watching this. The, the O.J. Simpson, a star football player who is like the face of Hertz, the rental car, and all sorts of other brands, who's this, this nice guy who is a star football player, is, is somehow being chased by the police. What has happened? Nicole Brown Simpson, his ex-wife, and Ronald Goldman have both been murdered. And this turns into one of the court cases of the century. I've watched it twice, <laughs> the FX television miniseries, <laughs> The People vs. O.J. Simpson. When I need to relax, I watch dark crime. <laughs> Just soothes me. I really do uh, <laughs> enjoy a good crime show once in a while. Okay. But in the middle of this, this drama unfolding in the courtroom, there seems to be enough evidence to take to take OJ out. But what happens is that the lead detective who is put on the stand as the primary witness that found the glove behind his house, that found the splattering of the blood on the white Bronco, inside the white Bronco, it seems to be there is plenty of evidence. But all of a sudden, the man that comes on to, into the courtroom as a witness, as the detective, is put into question because there's proof that he's anti-Semitic and that he's racist. And so this police officer is all of a sudden completely discredited because couldn't he have planted this evidence? Are you tracking with me? He goes in the courtroom scene with me? <laughs> and so the key witness is all of a sudden removed from the situation, and it puts everything in a frenzy. Now, moving us out of that story time into, into the life of Jesus in John 5. The, the point is that the witness speaks with power and proves the case. And the awesome thing here in John 5 is that the person that Jesus calls forth as a witness is John the Baptist. And he is the most credible of witnesses. Jesus himself says about John in Matthew eleven eleven, truly I say to you, Among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Why did Jesus rank John so highly? The answer is because not only was John one of the few historical figures besides Jesus to be predicted in the Old Testament, but he was the prophet chosen to introduce the Messiah. Moses didn't get baptized. Moses was not able to be, uh, to, let me start over. Moses was not able to baptize the Son of God, but John did. Of all the prophets, John alone saw the Messiah up close and helped usher in the kingdom of God. And in short, John was the greatest born among women because of his proximity and relationship to Jesus. And isn't it crazy that it says in this verse, that yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. That means that each and every one of you, if you have given your life to Jesus, if you've confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and made your life one where you have, you have called out to Jesus to save you from sin and death and to, to come into your life and the spirit of God rushes into your life, he says, you, you are even greater than John the Baptist. Isn't that insane to think about? It's because Jesus comes to live within you. That alone should should rock us to think, what is possible in my life? What is possible in my life? He says that even the least in the kingdom is greater than John the Baptist. And so John is an A++, extraordinary, best of the best kind of witness to testify who Jesus is. Verse 32. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. He spoke. He's speaking mostly to religious leaders here, and it says in verse 33, you sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. He reminded the unbelieving Jews that they sent men to John to hear what he had to say. Instead of pointing men to himself, instead of John saying, Give me the attention. Let let me be the one that you are being pointed to. He is pointing them to the Savior. He bore witness to the one who is the truth. Verse 34, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you might be saved. Jesus is acknowledging that he doesn't need to call these witnesses, but he's willing to do so so that people can connect the dots, so that you and I can connect the dots and see the power of witness so that people may be saved. So why can I trust Jesus? Number one, the Father sent him. Number two, John testifies to Jesus as Messiah. And number three, his works testify who he is. Verse 35, he, speaking of John, was a burning and shining lamp, and you are willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. What are the works that he's talking about? Jesus is asserting here that in his works bear witness that he has a greater ministry than to what John had. How many times did John the Baptist turn water to wine? How many times did John the Baptist heal the crippled? How many times did someone come to to him and saying, I have a son or a daughter at home who is dying, and with one word, be healed, the child is healed? John the Baptist is described as the best there ever was, and Jesus is saying, I am in a completely different category. Verse 36. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, they bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. I want to end that one a little early. Why can I trust Jesus? The Father sent him. John testifies to Jesus as Messiah. His works testify who he is. And fourth, the scriptures prophesy Jesus. I want you to look up here a moment. And do you understand that when you open up the word of God, when you hold it in your hands, this is a supernatural kind of book. Sometimes I wish that it didn't have a spine and that it didn't have pages because sometimes people just think it's a really good book. And we can't even begin to compare any other writing that has ever been written or any other religious work that's ever been written, any other text pales in comparison to the glory of the scriptures. It is a book given by God. It is supernaturally filled by God. It is preserved by God. It is filled with absolute consistency. There are over 66 books without error, without contradiction, brimming with the message of Jesus through its entirety. And every page and every story and every prophecy contained in these pages points towards the lordship of Jesus as Messiah. Verse 37. And the Father who sent me himself bore witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you have never seen. And you do not have his word abiding in you. These are harsh words spoken. You do not have his word abiding in you. This is the condition of every lost person. Before the illumination of the Holy Spirit in your heart, that is your condition. Scripture describes it like scales over our eyes and over our hearts. We don't see it. We don't get it. It's not real, but then it becomes real and awesome in your life as it's illuminated by the Holy Spirit. And how many of you remember when the Spirit of God came into your life and began to take the scales off your eyes and your ears and your heart, and there was a sensitivity, and the illumination of the Word became real in your life? There is nothing like it. But he's here describing those who have yet to see and yet to believe. And he says, you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one who he has sent. Here's the deal. In the kingdom of God, believing so often comes before the experience. So often we want the experience, and then we'll believe. Show me, and then I'll believe. Let me test drive the car, and then I'll buy the car. But in the kingdom of God, believing often comes before the experience. In the things of God, that's how it often works. In the kingdom, there is a stepping into the belief. And if you aren't there in your faith yet, I want to just encourage you like I would encourage anyone that that little bit of belief that you may have, that little bit in your heart that you might have, Just take it before him. Step into it the best that you know how. All he's asking for is you to have a soft heart, to not not continually be pushing things off and discrediting them them and and causing a hardness. But if you can somewhere just have this question of, perhaps this is true. Perhaps he is real. I don't know. I'm just going to hold this here. And then even in a whisper or in a thought, if all you can do is say, Jesus, if you're real, show me. Jesus, if you're real, help me. If you could just do that, he is a God that will meet you in that place. Even with just a thought, a whisper. And he will begin to multiply. He will begin to give you more so that all of a sudden you're like, wow, a few weeks ago, I was looking back to where I was, full of unbelief and hardness. And all of a sudden I feel like there's a softness starting in me. I I can't even explain it. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. The movement of the Spirit starting to take form, gripping your heart and leading you into truth, leading you into revelation of the reality of our God. But if you continue to push God off with cynicism and doubt over and over again, you're not gonna make much progress. But if you can open your heart and say, this might be real, this could be right. God, if you're real, show me the truth. He will take that and bring you into a place where more and more can be discovered. Verse 38, for you do not believe the one who has sent me. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life and um, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So what's happening here is that these religious leaders were actually very prideful in their, um, in their knowledge of the scriptures. They would, they would often put them um, on their jewelry. They would wear it upon their head sometimes. They would put it on their doorposts. They were, they were really obsessed with knowing the scripture, but they would take a religious pride in their knowledge of the scriptures. And so even though they had this knowledge, they were still blind to seeing that all of these scriptures were there to reveal Jesus. That was the whole point. And scriptures have hundreds of prophecies all pointing towards Jesus. We have Psalm 34, where, where God will, will um, protect the bones of the righteous. Remember, Jesus on the cross did not have any bones broken. They would have broken the bones of the ones on the cross so that they would um, not be able to breathe but Jesus did not. That was a fulfillment of prophecy. Psalm 69, David talks about being fed gall and vinegar. Jesus was offered gall and vinegar on the cross. Psalm 22, they would cast lots for his garments. That's exactly what took place. There were hundreds of prophecies that the Jewish people would have been familiar with that are fulfilled in the life and ministry of Jesus. And the cynic would say, well, what took place is they knew, the, they knew what took place. And so when they wrote the New Testament, they, they, they wrote in all of the fulfillment of the prophecies. Only here in the 1900s did we have a little shepherd boy in Qumran, Israel, throw a stone into a cave and hear a cracking take place of a jar. And what they discovered at Qumran were the Dead Sea Scrolls, where between 500 and 1,000 years B.C., they found the accuracy of Scripture, bringing an a affirmation and a solidification to the texts way before Jesus was even walking the, the face of the earth. And so history and science actually align with the eternal truth, and we can continue to have a greater foundation and, and faith when it comes to the Scriptures, Not to mention here that these Jewish leaders would have been familiar with the narratives of the Old Testament. Jonah, in the belly of the fish for three days. And you can't help but look at the life of Jesus. Three days in the grave, risen again. You look at Moses. Bryce said it so eloquently last week. Remember when Moses hit the rock and the water came out? That was supposed to be the once and for all image of Jesus being struck and being the living water that comes from the rock. And the reason that Moses could not hit the the rock a second time was because, no, 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 you're ruining the image, Moses. Once and for all sacrifice for mankind. How did they not see the parallels in the uh, the nation of Israel's history? What about the serpent placed up on the pole? That's a weird one. Why is there a snake on a pole, Moses? Well, because God asked him to. Because when Israel was out in the desert and they were being attacked by venomous snakes, he put a snake up on a pole following the instruction of God. And anyone that looked to the pole would be healed and saved. This is an image of of Jesus being fully God and fully man, being raised up that if we just look to him, he will save us from our destruction. How did they not see the narratives and the prophecy of the Old Testament being fulfilled in the life of Jesus. But the religious leaders were absolutely blinded to the prophecies, blinded to the stories that reflect who Jesus was. They had never seen God's form or person because they did not believe on the one that God had sent. God the Father does not have a form or a shape that is visible to mortal eyes. He is spirit and therefore invisible. But God has revealed himself to men in the person and lordship of Jesus Christ. In a very real way, those who believed on Christ saw the form of God. Unbelievers merely looked upon him as another man like themselves. And so why can we trust Jesus? The Father sent him. John testifies of Jesus as the Messiah. His works testify who he is. The scriptures prophesy Jesus. And number five, human glory is nothing to Jesus. He says, short and sweet, I do not receive glory from people. Such a short verse, but profound. He's not talking about our worship. He's not talking about our praise and our adoration. He's talking about the economy of heaven. Jesus is basically saying, even though you reject me, even though you Pharisees reject me, I'm I'm not hurt by that. I didn't come to get praised by men. I am very focused on glorifying the Father. Verse 42, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name and you did not receive me. If another comes in my own name, you will receive him. These men did not have the love of God in them, and that is, they loved themselves. They loved their religious pride rather than God. If they had loved God, they would have received the one whom God had sent. If love had been alive, kindled by the Holy Spirit, they would have recognized Jesus as the Messiah. Verse 44 How can you believe when you receive glory from another and do not seek the glory that comes from only God? if you are still stuck on a horizontal economy, me and you, how can, we, how can we believe if we are stuck in the applause and affirmation and praise of other people when we are designed to, to shed all of that and seek the approval of God and God alone? God and God alone. I feel like that is a, an endless journey in our lives, isn't it? Can we actually live from a a horizontal place, so wanting the approval and opinions of men all around us, but can we actually lay that down to have a a vertical focus, a vertical focus on him and him alone, knowing that at the end of the day, he's going to look at you, and you're going to stand before him, and don't you want him to say, well done, good and faithful servant when it's all been said and done, that one thing is what matters. That one thing. Can I trust Jesus? The Father sent him. John testifies to Jesus as Messiah. His works testify who he is. The scriptures prophesy Jesus. Human glory is nothing to Jesus. And finally, the scriptures confirm Jesus. Verse 45. Do not think I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you did not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? It is impossible for me to explain to you guys how much this freaked them out. Later on, they're coming at him like, our guy Moses, not you, Jesus. Our guy, we're following Moses, not you. You'll say all fired up about Moses, but you didn't really believe him. Do you see that I am the rock that was struck? Do you see that I am the manna in the desert? Every day, every day, I am the bread of life. Do you see that all of the law was pointing towards your need for a savior? If the Jews had believed the words of Moses, they would have believed the Lord Jesus Christ also, because Moses wrote about the coming of Christ. And an example of this is found in Deuteronomy 18. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your midst, from your brethren. Him you shall hear. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brethren, and will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them All I command him. And so Jesus is saying, if you knew Moses, if you had the love of God and the Spirit of God alive within you, you would recognize that I am He from Deuteronomy 18. In these verses, Moses is predicting the coming of Christ. He told the Jewish people to listen to him, to obey him when he came. And now the Lord Jesus has come, but the Jews failed to receive him. Thus he said that Moses would accuse them to the Father because they pretended to believe in Moses, and yet they did not, did not do what Moses commanded. The words he wrote about me are clear, a clear statement by the Lord that the Old Testament scriptures contain prophecies about Jesus. This is our God. This is the God who is alive. This is the God that is continuing to prove himself as Lord. He he is determined to reveal to you his lordship, that he is the son of God, that he is alive, that he is active, and he wants to make your life his very home. Would you guys go ahead and stand up with me? I hope you guys were tracking with me today. A little bit different message. I just felt... So much life in that passage. And I know this was a less of a, a kind of topical sermon and more of one like just getting in there and seeing what, what God is trying to, to reveal to us today. But I want us right now, let's go ahead and bow, bow our heads. For some of you, the question that you have rattling within you is that you're facing eternity and that you're not ready to die. And Jesus Christ is the savior of the world and he can be your savior. You can trust him. Some of you are facing incredible difficulty in your lives. And Jesus is a friend that sticks closer than a brother and you can trust him. And some of you have such deep heartache from life But Jesus is the healer, and you can trust him. So that's our prayer today, God. Holy Spirit, come in power where some of us have, have maybe even had moments of strong trust, but it's faded. We ask God, even right now, by your Spirit, that you would come and move in a strong trust in our lives. Help us. When there are areas of unbelief, help us when we are going off the path of life. Bring us into a place of strong trust and dependency in the person of Jesus again. Even right now, we give our lives to you, God. We give our lives to you once again, God. And I know that there are those out there that have never given their lives to the Lord. I don't know if it's your first time in a church in a long time. Maybe you've been coming for a little while and you're just intrigued about what God is doing in your life. But I just sense this nudging that today is a day of salvation for you. Today is a day where you can lift up your life in whatever belief that you have and just say, Jesus, be my Lord. We were singing earlier, Hosanna, meaning save us, God, save us. All of us are in need of a savior. We can't do it on our own. It doesn't matter how many times you go to church. It doesn't matter how many times you try to clean yourself up. We need a savior. We need Jesus. So right now, right now, if you know that that's you, if you know that that's you and you want to make Jesus your God, I'm going to ask you in a second to take one small step of boldness. I'm just going to ask you to raise your hand in a moment and that that act would be an act of faith whatever you have. You don't have to have all your ducks in a row. You don't have to understand everything. But right in the middle of the mystery, you can look and say, I want you, Jesus. You can be like the thief on the cross next to Jesus, dying and just looking at him and seeing his lordship and saying, you are the Messiah. And Jesus can turn to you and say, today, I will see you in paradise by his grace and grace alone that we are saved. So on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand and keep it high. And then we're going to pray a prayer together, okay? Holy Spirit, stir that within the individuals that you are calling even right now. Some of you can feel that like beating in your heart and that stirring within yourself. I encourage you, this is the best decision that you're ever going to make. So on the count of three, keep your hand high. One, two, three, lift your hands. Awesome, awesome. I see you around the room, awesome, awesome. I'm going to give you another chance. Keep your hands up, if that's you. I know there's more out there. Lift your hands right now, one, two, three. Awesome. This is so good. So good. All right. You can put your hands down for a moment. We're going to pray together. Ready? All right. You guys want to repeat after me all together? Here we go. Jesus. I today give myself to you, to the one that died. Was buried and resurrected, the Savior of the world and the Savior of my life. I choose you because you chose me in love. I receive your grace, I receive the gift of salvation, I receive freedom from my sin. freedom from condemnation condemnation. and freedom from death. death. And I receive the free gift gift. of being a son son. or being a daughter daughter. adopted into your family, family. being a dwelling place for God, God. surging full of your power in life. Come fill me right now, God, Jesus, flood my heart, make me your own, be my God, be my Lord, I choose to follow you, flood me in your grace and mercy, and wrap me in your eternal light, in Jesus' name, amen, amen.